Welcome to the new school. What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number nine of the New School Video Podcast. It's Candice, and in this episode, Meg and I had the opportunity to speak to Anna Njaconte, who is the founder of Dare to Dream financial planning, serving women of color who have dreams. I just love everything about that. So what's really cool about this conversation is Anna talks about her journey from working in a typical broker environment to launching her own firm and the decision she made to no longer separate her work self from her personal life self, how that showed up in the way she talked to her clients, the things they talked about, the way she dressed, as well as what was on her website and her clients' reactions to that, the depth of connection, conversation, and trust that she's been able to develop in being authentically herself. We're super excited for you to listen in. Let's get started. Today, we have Anna Jai Conte, who is the founder of Dare to Dream Financial Planning. She has a really exciting stellar Instagram account. I was actually looking through your Instagram account this morning, and you have a podcast called First Gen Realness, and your practice is focused on serving women of color. When I was listening to your podcast intro this morning, I thought one part of it was really interesting. And that's in your intro, you say, after you listen to this, I hope you feel less alone, more connected, and you're holding your head a little bit higher. Tell us what that means. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, due to a lack of representation and diverse voices, a lot of times people find that they're struggling alone with an issue that might be very commonplace, but because they don't hear about it and they don't necessarily see other people talking about it in an open, honest, vulnerable way, then they might not necessarily realize that this is common and, you know, they're not crazy or there's not, um, you know, anything particularly uh, odd or strange about their own situation. And so when you say hold your head a little bit higher, what are you what are you talking to there specifically? Yeah, I think that really goes back to, you know, by feeling as though, you know, this is a common thing and it's not really somehow related to you. If there's any particular struggle that somebody's having, I think that that just leads to a little bit more confidence. Right. Um, feeling a bit more um, understood Um and, and that leads to, I think, just, you know, exactly like I said, holding your head higher, feeling as though, okay, this is something that other people struggle with too, and I'm not alone. And there might be tools and things that I can do to overcome that. But, but really, it's rooted in understanding and non-judgment. And I think it's such an important message for women that we just have to hear over and over again, there will not be too many times that we can support each other and, and remind each other to hold our heads high and that there's no reason we shouldn't. And 
it's so cool to be able to to meet you and speak with you today, Anna. I'm such a fan of this industry. Like I I love working with financial advisors. I love seeing the impact that you have on the clients that you serve. I love being a part of the transformation, the really important and I think like delayed transformation that this industry is going through right now. And I've been working in this industry since I was 20. And back then and very recently, I mean, I just didn't have the opportunity to meet women like you in this industry, you know, very just confident, empowered, successful, independent women with a point of view, such an important point of view and perspective. And so I would love to just know, like, how did you get here? You know, like, what's your story? How did you get to this place where you're leading this firm forward and providing such important guidance and financial support to women of color? Yeah, um, I I agree. I think it was it was a long winding road as everybody's is, but um, you know I I feel very passionately on the need for that perspective because I, I I know that you know if you don't see something, it can be hard to realize that you can be something or you can take that path. Um, so my goal really is to live as boldly as I can and really serve as an inspiration to my daughters. You know, we were talking about my kids before we hit record. I have three girls. I want to inspire them to live boldly and live in authentically and really in alignment with who they are as individuals. Um, You know, I would say my story really starts with my family. Um, I come from a family of like the most strong willed, uh, hardworking women you could ever find in your whole life. And I think they really gave me that foundation, right, to stand up for myself, to stand up for what I know is right, to really stand in my values and to take my values with me wherever I go at whatever cost, really. Um, And that that's served as like my foundation for life. Right. Um, In terms of the industry. So, you know, I I fell into the industry. You know, I don't come from wealthy people, although they are strong and hardworking. They're not wealthy by any means. Um, You know, my my uh, I'm a first generation American. So my parents grew up elsewhere. Um, You know, we they they did a lot. And, you know, if I even consider their um, their starting point to where they ended up. Like, it's just incredible. And they are like the most amazing people, but you know, finances and investing and wealth management certainly was not on any of our radars. And so I sort of fell into the industry. Um, you know, I graduated in the great recession and it was hard to find jobs as I'm sure you can understand. And so, you know, I, I came into a job as an assistant at um, Alliance Bernstein in New York. And I really fell in love with the combination of all of the skills that I needed to be good at it, right? I'm very extroverted. I like engaging with people. I like talking to people. Um, I also really love numbers, right? I have a million spreadsheets. I've always been that person calculating, scribbling numbers somewhere. I like math. Um, And I also really like big picture thinking. So that's how I kind of fell into the industry and I've been doing it ever since. And you started your firm, I think less than two years ago, right? Was that a big leap? I mean, tell us about sort of the moment you decided I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to do this. Why was that important to you? and, And what was that transition like? 
Yeah. Um, it, it was not an easy transition. I think, I think it was, well, I, it, it was easy and difficult. I think it was easy because I could see that I was not happy where I was. I was not happy with the structure and the environment. And I, and as many interviews as I did elsewhere, maybe thinking, oh, if I change firms, I was seeing that it was going to be consistently similar. I was just jumping from, you know, one, one side of the, of the coin to the other, and it was going to be the same. What I started doing was opening my horizons because I was really in the warehouse environment. And so I started to look at the RIA space and become more familiar with other business models and other way of doing business. And, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, you can't know what's possible until you see somebody else doing it or doing something similar to what you'd like to do. So, you know, I started following people like Mary Beth Storjahan and Sophia Barra, who both are women. Mary Beth is a mother as well. Um, and you know, they showed me in their similar age as me, and they showed me that, you know, you can leave this traditional financial planning investment management industry, go out on your own and be incredibly successful at it. Once I saw that it was an easy decision because I just was so unhappy with, with how I was operating in my previous environment. Um, it was hard though. I mean, it's hard work to start a business and to leave, you know, stability in terms of income and predictability in terms of career path. And you don't know whether you're going to be successful or not. So that was certainly challenging. And there was a good deal of imposter syndrome involved there, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. How did you decide? I mean, was it just always an obvious knowing, or was there a moment where you were like, I'm going to focus on women of color? I, when I was leaving, I was thinking, I want to serve people like me. I wanted to serve people that were younger, that were maybe starting families or looking to start businesses or or starting to hit their stride in their career and have a substantial enough income to where they can really make impactful changes in their financial life. Um as I started working with clients and really, you know, I'm very big on self introspection, right? I'm really, I'm really big on taking time to like sit quietly with myself and really envision what it is that I want. And that message just kept coming to me. But to be honest, I was a little bit scared uh, to do it. You know, I, I think as women, we are taught to be very palatable and to not ruffle feathers and to, be very, um, you know, just be nice and play nice. Right. And especially as women of color, I think that that messaging is just amplified that much more. And so it was a little bit scary and daunting for me, but, um, I ended, I hired a business coach and she was like, listen, the more clear you are on who you serve, and what matters to you. And when people feel the passion behind that, they're going to be attracted to you like, like a magnet. And so it's, it's worked out well thus far. So you have overcome two of the biggest, I think, self-imposed barriers that most advisors place in front of themselves from a marketing perspective. And the first marketing slash business perspective. The first is that there's not, there's just this general perception in the industry that there's not a viable business model for serving younger investors. So Gen X to millennials, you know, there's just this perception of, even if I wanted to, there's not enough money there for me to make a business of it, which I believe is just like a huge missed opportunity. There are people like you who have are, have figured it out. And I think you're the, obviously like you're the leaders of the future. 
And the, the second is there's this hesitation for targeting what could be perceived as like too small of a market. And well, I don't, you know, what I hear a lot from advisors is, well, yeah, I have an affinity to this group of people. I share common interests or, you know, I like working with them. But if I target this narrow group over here, I'm going to alienate these people over here. And like, what about my existing clients that don't look like this? Mm-hmm. And again, like from just pure marketing principles perspective, you know, you should actually try to target the smallest viable market because that's how you develop influence. And so I think it's great for advisors, honestly, of like any age, any background, any stage in their career to be able to meet someone like you and to see like, wow, that really works. You know, I can build a viable business on a different market than maybe the senior advisors in my firm have taught me to. And, and it is okay to like really be narrow in my focus. Were there any moments where you felt like, I don't know, like maybe I made the wrong choice there? Or has it always been like, once you decided this is going to be, I'm going to target these types of people, I'm going to go narrow in my marketing focus. Like, has it been a smooth ride the entire time? I mean, I wouldn't say it's been a smooth ride, but I will say that I think because there's such a dearth of diversity in the field and there is such a huge market for, you know, women professionals, you know, black women, for example, are the number one um, fastest growing college graduate, right? They're the number one group for uh, of people that are starting new businesses. I think 42% of all businesses in 2019 were founded by black women. So if you... If you look at it, um, if you look at it from the perspective of scarcity and like I can't, I can't, um, you know, I can't make this viable, then it's it's challenging. Um, for me, I made the commitment. I knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to do, and I also I think I was good about managing my expectations for when it, how long it would take, right? Once I had set my mind on it and done that research and said, okay, this is, this is viable. That's, that's really how it worked. Um, for me, I started to see though, because of the lack of diversity, I started to see a lot of people coming to me and saying like, oh my God, where have you been my whole life? I've been looking for an advisor like you. And just even those one-off, even if it was once a month or, you know, once every couple of weeks, I would get a message like that. It was really heartening for me and told me that I was on the right path because clearly I was connecting with people in terms of the content I was putting out and the messaging that I was doing, um, it was resonating. I think there's something that you and I had talked about in our prep interview. And um, it's kind of something that stuck with me. And I said to you, um, I said like, Anna, have you been getting a lot of calls? Like, you know, because of like who you are and who you serve and like, what is the response like? And you said, to your point of what you just said, you said, you have women calling you and be like, oh my gosh, I've been looking for you. Like kind of like almost like, highly emotional about it because Mm. it's almost like I don't know what like what I got from it is like it's like you know like how we have an inner knowing that things should be a certain way or we're looking for something but we don't know what it is until Mm. we like see it and we're like oh this is it like something externally resonates with what we've been experiencing internally totally um I have had multiple people come to me and say, I read your website and it brought me to tears. And that right there tells me like, 
there is a deep emotional practical need for people to have financial advice and guidance. And they really, I think, you know, they might even go the traditional route. Right. But I think there's a, there's also a deep understanding on some level that it's not vibing, right. It's not, this person doesn't understand me to on a deep level. They might understand like the, the actual tactical technical aspect of their job, but so much of our job as advisors is human and it's about empathy and it's about really understanding and, and pulling out what people's fears and relationship is to money and the dynamics that they have around money and translating that into the actual strategy. And I think, um, you know, my clients knew that anybody they could go to pretty much would have the technical knowledge, but are they going to have somebody that really gets them? And that's been the consistent message. Um, that and also not judging them. Um, I think, you know, the, our industry does a whole lot of judging and shaming. And um, it's, in my opinion, it's very counterproductive. I mean, well, even that Carl Richard on talking about being shamed. I mean, <laughs> people shamed Carl Richards, you know. Can you imagine? <laughs> Do you mean that we as an industry are judging and shaming our clients? Like when they come to us mm-hmm. for a friend? I mean, that's so dangerous. It's terrible. And I think we don't always realize it. I mean, sometimes until you open your eyes and you see what you're doing or you become, you're made aware, sometimes you just don't realize it. But I've had so many clients come to me and say, you know, I went to consult with an advisor. Um, there's one story in particular that sticks out with me. You know, she was someone, I think she was probably in her early 40s, um, per, mid-career professional, Um in a major metropolitan area. And she went to consult with an advisor to get her financial, you know, plan set. And the guy told her that she was first generation American and her parents were not very well off. And she provided monetary support to her parents within reason from my judgment. The guy said, you absolutely cannot give that money to your parents and was really judging her and her parents for the fact that she was giving them that money on a monthly basis. Like, oh, they should have had that figured out. Secondly, he also spent a lot of time judging her on her lack of investment knowledge and prowess, right? You don't read these things. You don't understand the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund. That's just like, it's just awful. And that's, I think, the most egregious example of what I've had. But all through and through, one thing that I find is a lot of my clients say, I'm so glad that you're not judging me for this. Or like, I felt very ashamed about, you know, the fact that I have debt, the fact that I haven't, don't have as much retirement savings as, you know, the calculators or the standard metrics tell me I'm supposed to have. Um, It's, it's, it's problematic. And I've come across it enough that it seems to be an unfortunate trend. Yeah. That's definitely an interesting perspective because I think when I first heard you say that, I thought within the industry, we judge and shame each other, Mm. you know, I see that. I feel that. You know, I think women in this industry feel that a lot. So, I mean, I feel like that perspective about the clients is so important. And it really just comes back around to we've had such phenomenal guests 
like you that we've had the privilege of meeting through this podcast. You know, Candace mentioned Carl Richards, and I'm thinking about Toussaint Bailey and Georgia Lee Hussey, and there's these amazing leaders that understand the power of, you know, Toussaint talks about empathetic listening, and mm-hmm. Georgia Lee Hussey talks about the importance of money stories and how money mm-hmm. stories really shape how people approach their wealth and their finances. And then hearing you really validate all of that and bring your own perspective, you know, it's just such a cool place for us to be here and, and, and experience. And I love how, when I was, you know, doing my research and getting to know you digitally before we met, you know, I love just seeing your authenticity shine through and how you, present yourself and how you communicate and the type of content that you produce. And, you know, is that, do you have sort of a filter that you, when you're looking at something before you put it out, like, is there something that you, a question that you ask yourself to say like, yes, this is Anna, you know, like this is, this is right. And I mean, do you have an example of maybe something that you might not have published or that you had to go back and rethink and rework or you just pulled off the shelf because you're like, this isn't right. I mean, you know, is there any lesson that advisors who are striving for the same level of authenticity can apply in their own content creation? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, I don't second guess myself very much. Um, I am very like, I have the idea. I execute the idea. That's, that's my personality. So I don't, I don't, spend a lot of time. It's either a yes or a no, but I will say what I'm always trying to do is, um, whenever I'm looking at creating content or doing a new initiative, I like to think about a few things. Like, is it something that I really want to do that I'm going to be excited to do right. Or talk about, or, you know, a speaking topic, whatever it may be. That's the first one. The second would be, um, you know, is this aligned with my values and who I am? You know, one, one thing that I told myself when I left my job and I, and I, and, you know, embarked upon this journey was that I was no longer going to have a split personality. I wasn't going to have a different side, right? So me in front of you is the same as me hanging with my kids. It's the same as me hanging with my friends talking to my clients, I I just want to have congruence, right? And it was very important to me that I always feel like I am just being myself at all times. So I think that is, um, that's another thing that, that I use to, um, you know, kind of filter what I'm putting out there, right? Like, is this, is this, oh, does this sound like me? Is this something that matters to me? Is this a a perspective that I think is also going to add value to the conversation? I don't ever want to just talk about the same stuff. I mean, I could, right. I could talk about like how to evaluate your 401k funds. And I can't talk about that. But if I'm going to do that and add to the 4,000 articles or blog posts about that, then I need to do it in my own way that maybe brings a fresh perspective to it. How about how to fund an IRA? (laughs) (laughs) There are so many other conversations to have. Thank you very much. <laughs> so Anna, what I'm really hearing is you kind of went for this environment. And I think we had Danny Fava on our last episode and she, you know, she's head of innovation and investnet. She's really synonymous with just being herself. She talks about how she talks on stage at Nike. She wears her biggie t-shirt to work. And she talks a lot about, which was like, 
I mean, as Meg said, I think we have enjoyed these conversations so much because they're giving us freedom. They give us more freedom to be ourselves. You know what I'm saying? When you're here, like, and so that's really what I'm hearing from you. Like you went from the space of potentially like having to conform, having to like compromise to the space of like freedom, like of being like, you know, that's really what authentic means. Like, I feel like it's a little bit, it's become a little bit of a kind of a buzzwordy, like be authentic. But what it really means is like, when you're able to show up for yourself, there's freedom and you free other people. What are some of the ways that's actually shown up for you? Like, it could be like, you know, the way you dress, the way you feel, like what has that new freedom been like? Totally. Um, I think appearance is a huge one. Um, you know, when you're at a very stuffy firm, right, they, you know, you have the black suit and the standard nude or black pumps, and that's what you wear. I was never as conformist with that, but especially as a black woman, our hair can be very controversial in certain instances. That is something that I feel very strongly about. Um, but also, you know, I, I speak Spanish fluently, for example, right? So I, some of my content, I might put some Spanish words in there. A lot of my clients are Latina and my audience in terms of socials is Latina also. I'm very unapologetic about that. And it is something that's freeing because I just feel like I'm congruent all around, right? Um, I think also, you know, the fact that I do that is very freeing for my clients too. I think when they see me and I, you know, maybe I speak Spanish or, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, or my year end client conversations, you know, we're talking about Christmas traditions in the Latino community, right. Or we're talking about our hair with my black clients, all of those things just make them feel very um, seen and understood. And I think it allows them to relax and open up more, which is, you know, goes back to the relationship deepening part that we talked about earlier. Well, I think that one of the things that advisors often face is the challenges what you just said, how you explained and sort of illustrated the relationship that you have with your clients, it's just super clear. It's really obvious why you have these strong client relationships, why people are attracted to you, why they probably refer you to others, you know, and I think that it comes down to ultimately what investors or, you know, the American consumer is looking for from a financial advisor is they just want to feel like they're in a safe space where they're being taken care of and that they're being respected and that it's like a trusting environment. But from a marketing perspective, you can't put on a website, trust me, I respect you. When do you believe that? If you have to put like, use those words in your marketing language, that's a problem. And so really where that comes into play is in how you develop a client experience that's just very real, very honest, and and very true. And so I actually don't think I have a question. I sort of just wanted to validate for people that are listening, like, follow Anna, see what she's doing, like, listen to her podcast, observe the content, because that's where you are able to bridge from the marketing, which marketing is, you know, out to an audience of people that don't know you. That's what marketing is about. It's about getting in front of an audience of people that don't know you. How that's you, what you are doing, Anna, is you're bridging the way that you're showing up to an external market to your client experience. That's like so rooted in trust and respect that you just never have to say it out loud. And I think that that's a really cool demonstration for people that are sort of yearning for something similar. 
Yeah. Um, one thing that I think resonates, and I think this is partially a generational um, shift also, but vulnerability is something that I think younger people really, um, they put a premium on that, right? Because, you know, previously, your the idea was you put up your professional persona and you're perfect and you never have a hair out of place. And, you know, there's never a typo in an email. And if it is, it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that's not realistic. And I can't, you know, I'm not perfect, even in terms of my own personal finances, I've never been perfect. But leading with that vulnerability lets people feel like she's trusting me enough to tell me about this or like, let me in and share these stories or these experiences with me. And that tells me that like, she understands that she won't judge me or she will respect me and respect that maybe I've made some mistakes and I might want to learn from them or do better next time. But this person might, might at least be open to, to receiving that well. So I have a question for you. So, you know, I think you held your own conference, so to speak on, you know, last year, which I think was really cool. And there's been a lot of talk, you know, especially in the last year with the Black Lives Matter movement about really people waking up and being more conscious of the ways that they are um, sometimes not unconsciously supporting like inequality right through our system. Mm -hmm. When you think of, and so there's been this big move by the industry to be like, okay, we need more diverse speakers at our conference. We need more of all of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder for your, on you, is there any, do you feel, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like, yes, this is the right direction. I'm happy to come speak. Or sometimes do you feel like, no, I'm not going to speak at that just to like fill what you're trying to do here because it doesn't really feel like mm-hmm. it's you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if I'm the check the box, uh, invite, <laughs> and also, I feel like check the box woman I have. I know that there's some things I'm only invited to because they needed a woman there. And to be honest, I, I don't, maybe it was Oprah. It was someone who said, doesn't matter how you get there. If you get there, just go. Do you know what like, like doesn't matter how, where your seat comes yeah. from. Um, I think I usually trust my gut and the vibe there. And so if I feel as if people are earnest and they are coming from the right place and the right frame of mind, then I'm happy to be there. But I also am someone that I am not going to wait for people to invite me to things in order to have the conversations that I think we need to have, which is why I had that conference, right? I'm not going to wait for the financial services industry to decide that they want to work with 30 year old women of color. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to do my own thing and serve the people that I can in order to create that gap. And then the industry can follow me or not. And that's fine. Um, You know, I'm glad to see that there is a more concerted effort towards that. However, I would say, I think it's a a much smaller percentage than I would like to see. Um, You know, I am under no illusion that for the large part, for the most part, uh, our industry is proceeding business as usual. And then maybe sometimes they're, you know, they'll they'll throw a bone to the diversity and inclusion efforts. (laughs) I I don't think that most people are very focused on it. I I, you know, there are a lot of people like Sonia Driesler that are focused on that and I really commend them for it. Um, but I don't think that they're the majority, unfortunately. So much work to do, you know, we will forever too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I always feel like these meaningful conversations go far too fast. And before we wrap up, you know, you're, we, I am a white privileged woman, you know, Candace is African, but you say often Candace that you are part of a privileged minority. And so, you know, I think that what I would like to ask you for my final question is like, what can I do, Anna? What can I do to make this world a better place for your daughters? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, answering that question, asking that question and even like having um, that as a focus is a great first start. I would say continuing to educate yourself as to, you know, biases and tendencies that you might have or might be in, in organizations that you're a part of and, and social circles that you're a part of is the first step, right? And I think once you open your eyes, you start to see, okay, shifts, there are shifts that I can make um, to be more impactful. Um, I think that's really it. I think being open and receptive to listening and not defensive also is important. You know, I think that's really the place where you have to start. Um, because, you know, once we, um, I, I read a book and it was, it's on personal development, like mindset work, but it says the first, uh, the first act of war is defense. Mm. And so it's like, you know, if I, if, if something is brought to your attention and you're immediately like, you know, resist, I think that is the first act of like making it a contentious thing when it's just about listening and understanding each other. Mm, Thank you. Anna, two final questions. So the first one is your financial planning practice is called, I've got the sun coming in and out here, Mm -hmm. um, is called um, Dare to Dream Planning. What are you daring to dream about right now? For me, um, you know, my long-term vision, I think it's the beginning of the year. So this is typical for most of us humans, right? Uh, Thinking about the long-term vision for my firm. So, you know, my goal is really to have a large enterprise firm with uh, a series of diverse advisors, really providing that relatable advice that is so needed. And also thinking outside the box in terms of the the way that we serve those clients, right? Leading with excellence and empathy um, and understanding, but then also trying to meet people where they are as best as possible. So I'm thinking through that long-term vision uh, for my firm, hopefully three to five years and we'll be there. What does the new school mean to you? I think it just means like people that are willing to think outside the box and think about new ways to do things, um, whatever that may be. So in our industry, it might be marketing or messaging or even your business model, right? It's really about saying, okay, I am not, for whatever reason, this old way of doing things is not working for me or my clients and how, and what can I do and how can I show up in a way that does work for me and, and, you know, my, my client base. Fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Yeah. So I, in terms of social media, I mostly hang out on Twitter and Instagram and my handle there is the same. It's at A-N-J-I-E-K-O-N-T-E. My website is daretodreamplanning.com and uh, my podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of the the standard, standard platforms. Anna, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you again for joining us. Thank Thank you. 